Mormon Stories podcast depends entirely upon the voluntary contributions of you, its listeners. To keep Mormon Stories alive, please consider donating today at mormonstories.org. To make a contribution to Mormon Stories, just click on the Make a Donation button at the top right of the mormonstories.org website. Also, please help us promote Mormon Stories via dig.com and sustained.org. For all this and more, please check out mormonstories.org. And thank you for listening. Thank you for joining Mormon Stories Podcast. What's it actually like to try to publish a Mormon-themed book? As an author, how many copies are you likely to sell, and how much money do you stand to make? And how do Mormon authors view the implications of the recent acquisition of Siegel Book and Tapes and Covenant Communications by Deseret Book? As we continue Part 3 in our series on this acquisition, we interview Christopher Bigelow, president of ZarahemlaBooks.com and author of multiple Mormon-themed books, including Mormonism for Dummies and the Mormon Tabernacle Inquirer. Also, while this episode covers Christopher's journey as an author of Mormon-themed books, check out the blog entry for this interview on mormonstories.org for an extended discussion, including more on Christopher's early years and his time as a writer for Ensign Magazine. Your story today on Mormon Stories Podcast. Let's uh, let's turn a bit and talk about when you first decided you wanted to uh, be an author and to write a book. When was that, and uh, what was it like to start down that journey? Okay, well, like I said, the seed was planted back at Emerson College when I was in James Carroll's uh, fiction writing class. Um, strangely enough, I went to BYU to emphasize creative writing, but it didn't turn out that I did a whole lot with fiction during my graduate degree. I mean, I did do a thesis. It was a novella, but I wouldn't say it, it went all that well uh, trying to write fiction at BYU. Yeah. Um, but then, it's kind of funny. After I got out of grad school, um, you know, I wasn't 100% satisfied with being a magazine editor at the end side. And so I was looking for other projects that I could do, and I came uh, somehow I came across the idea to do a uh, a memoir of my missionary experience in Australia. In Australia, and what and was that? The way it, the way that started was I went back to my missionary journals, and I I thought I might want to type those up. Hmm. So I started typing them up, and then I thought, hey, no one's I don't think anyone's ever told what's really a, a very human, um, significant experience, the Mormon mission, no one's ever dramatized that, um, certainly for a national audience. There's been some writing along those lines within the faith. Um, I don't know of any book lengths, or many book lengths accounts, but I, I thought it was something that hadn't been done in a way that a national audience could uh, actually get something out of. Was this pre-God's Army or post-God's Army? Um, this was, I believe this was pre-God's Army Okay. when it started. And so I actually, I wrote some sample chapters and uh, an outline, and I I wrote a one-page query letter. That's how you begin to approach agents in the national market, is you write a one-page really compelling query letter that describes your product, your project and tries to get them to, you know, request to see more. So I came up with a killer query letter hmm. on this uh, missionary memoir project, and I sent it out to a lot of agents, and I had half a dozen call me. Wow. Uh, and I got really excited. I thought I was really on to something. And when I mailed them more, they didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I'll just say, I think uh, it's a really hard thing for a writer who's coming out of the Mormon tradition uh 
if you want to tell a Mormon story to a national audience, I think it's really hard to get a national publisher to go along with it if, if it shows that you're still sort of faithful or favorable toward Mormonism at all. They only want the Martha Becks of the world. They want the disaffected. I had some agents ask me point blank, you know, now you're not still a practicing Mormon, are you? And, you know, I can understand part of it. They don't want to become a tool for, you know, Mormon propaganda. Right. Because we are a proselyting faith. And, but, you know, that's a tough, I, I, that's a tough wall to crack. Or, uh, and I don't, know, I don't know how far we'll get. I hope we make more progress. So you went you went for the national publishers with your first book? Yeah, more or less, and I did get an agent. Huh. Uh a woman in uh in Massachusetts, based in Massachusetts, had sold some books and was a good agent and she loved uh she loved the the project that I showed her and she showed it around. Huh. And she got a lot of good readings. And the people at uh Do you have to pay an agent or did No, no. They keep a, a percentage of any royalties that you earn later. Okay. 15% is usually what they get. Okay. And she almost got me a contract. In fact, Harper San Francisco is part of Harper Collins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Harper San, Harper San Francisco, I think they are actually based out in San Francisco, and they do the religious publishing. Oh. And, and they were on board to do the book. Huh. And it got killed in uh, New York with the New York uh, home office. Was that heartbreaking? Oh, yeah. It was a close call because I thought we were in. And had you written the book? No. I just had it in the proposal uh, phase still. It was several sample chapters. But no, the whole book wasn't written, so that's one good thing. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so that was a heartbreaker. Um, But the thing that came out of that was that my agent, Linda Roghar, was also the agent for uh, Jana Reese, who is uh, yeah. an editor at Publishers Weekly. Sure. She's a Latter-day Saint convert, works at Publishers Weekly, and writes some of her own books. And someone had asked Jana to do Mormonism for Dummies. Well, the publisher of the Dummies books had asked her to do it. Right. And she didn't feel like she could take it on by herself, but then... Linda, our mutual agent, ah. connected us up. Wow. So that was a wonderful thing for me and great pro- a really fun project to work on. And when did you start working on that? Let's see. It came out in 05, and so we really only had about six months of writing time. Was that Jana's idea? Uh, to do Mormonism for Dummies? Did she pitch it? Yeah, I think that she... She knew an editor at, at Wiley, the publisher, and, and I don't remember exactly how it came about, but just in a conversation with someone, I think someone said to her, you ought to do Mormonism for Dummies. Uh-huh. I think the Wiley editor said that, or somebody said that to her. So, yeah, I mean, the idea came through her, but I think she thought it was kind of a uh, kooky idea at first, a little bit, maybe. And this is the one who's done, like, the, the gospel according to Buffy, right? Yes. Yes, she did that, and uh, and she's done, I think, three or four additional books like as well. Like Gospel According to Simpsons, or or no? Her Buffy book was a lot like the Gospel According to the Simpsons. Yeah, it was in the same genre of uh, TV spirituality. Yeah, right. And um, what's Jenna like to work with? Uh, I don't know that there are many, if any, people I admire much as Jana. She's just a real level-headed professional. And yet, really warm, and and uh, she was wonderful to work with. Huh. Uh, I hope I was okay to work with. I'm, <laughs> I don't know if I'm quite as uh, level-headed and 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 uh, just basically intelligent too. Well, I she didn't. She didn't say anything bad about you when I talked to her. <laughs> no, that collaboration went really well, and in fact, we've we've worked on uh, another project since then that. Right now is in container ships on the Pacific Ocean coming from China. Wow. Well, before we talk about that, so when you, when when you, uh, when an agent, you know, sells a deal to some publisher, they usually give some type of advance. Is that how it works? Yes. Um, they, they try to get as large of an advance as possible, not only just because the cash is nice, but because that commits the publisher to doing more promotion and 
committing more resources to the book. And Wiley's a pretty big publisher, right? Yeah, Wiley's big. Um, they own a lot of imprints and 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 have a, their arms in a lot of areas. And they gave they. I don't know what they were expecting on sales for Mormonism for Dummies. I think they offered us like $10,000 of an advance to start with. And then our agent was able to get them to go up to 15000 which really isn't a lot of money when you're dividing No. Them. Well, first the agent takes 15%, and then you divide it in two. Yeah. Um, and I don't, you know, they never did tell us, we hope your book sells X number of copies. Um, the book has sold. Last I heard, it had sold seven thousand copies. Huh. I would have. I would have thought more. I would have thought any dummies book would sell in the fifties at least. Okay. Well, here's here's something. The Mormonism for Catholic Mormon. Okay. Sorry, I'm getting confused. <laughs> Mormonism for Catholicism. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it was called Catholicism for Dummies or Catholics for Dummies. Yeah. Anyway, the Catholic version. Yes. That that's I believe that sold well over a hundred thousand, maybe a, over two hundred thousand. Wow. I mean, and there are more Catholics in the world, and maybe they need a book like that more than we do. Since <laughs> I don't know, I don't know how well Catholic a lot of Catholics know their faith. <laughs> oh. oh. But you know, we've heard some good things though. Um, you're familiar with the HBO. Um, big love show about the Utah polygamist. Yes. Well, we heard that um, the producers of Big Love give Mormonism for Dummies to each, you know, they bring in guest directors to do different episodes. Right. And it's required reading. One of the books that's required reading is Mormonism for Dummies. That's great. For the directors. And then on the other end of the spectrum, I have to tell you, is that... Uh, Recently, at a, a group of religious news writers, they held a convention here in Salt Lake with religion journalists coming in from around the country, and uh, the LDS Church public affairs representatives were also in attendance. And what were they handing out? Ah. Mormonism for dummies. Now, did you vet it? Did you vet a manuscript through the church to make sure they'd feel good about it? We contacted the church early on to see if they would help us with some uh, photos and images. And they went and talked, I believe, to a, a general authority, and, and he did not like the title. <laughs> he thought the title was disrespectful. And I don't know if that means he wasn't familiar with the whole series and the brand. Right. I think probably that's the case. Okay. But they shut us down. Uh and but we did we did go to the public affairs department as journalists and they were very helpful giving us certain statistics and things that they would give to any uh you know journalists right but uh we did not have people there review the manuscript or anything you know who reviewed our manuscript was uh, Jan Ships oh yeah she's great the uh, his, the famous historian yeah she was she was commissioned to be our technical editor, so she was the one that vetted the manuscript. For our listeners, uh, Jan Ships is the foremost, uh, you know, scholar on Mormon history in the world. She's also probably the most sought-after person to comment on Mormonism, and she's actually not a Mormon herself. But she, she is a professor out of a university in in Indiana, right? Indianapolis at Purdue and somewhere else or whatever. What is it? Yeah. Yeah, something like that. But she's great. Jen Ships, look her up. Two P's, right? Jen Ships with two, two P's. P's. Yeah, she's got some good books out on uh, on Mormon history and a great story there. So you've sold about you said six or seven thousand copies, huh? Yeah, the royalty statements take so long to get to us that that might be as much of a year old. In uh, so it could it could be double that? You mean? Well, could be. I haven't received any additional royalty checks. <laughs> and so, but that's because you're because you're paying off your advance. Is that right? We have not earned out our advance. Yeah. Yet, okay. No. And so, were you working full time in another job while you were writing this book? Yes. Um, somehow, I got wrapped up in uh, doing marketing communications in the multi-level marketing industry down here in Utah County. Okay. My respect yeah. for you just uh, halved. <laughs> Hey, it's a living. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, I uh, 
I don't necessarily uh, approve 100% of multi-level marketing. <laughs> I'm just giving you our time. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's a living, and uh, if I could find a way, you know, if I could find a way to to earn my living uh, doing things more along the lines of writing and editing in the Mormon field, you know, I, would, I wouldn't want to go back to the end side. I'm not saying that, but I'd love to find another gig uh, where I really felt passionate about it. But until then, you know, got to support the family. So yeah, I I uh, work a lot of evenings. To, so you project. you so you work day by day. You were what a marketing copywriter for a yeah. And do you do you say the company or would you rather not say the company? Uh, right now, I work at a company called New Ways. I don't mind saying that. And and you are a PR guy, publicist. What? I'm a marketing a marketing writer. Okay. And um, wow, what a what an interesting industry! I'm sure you could, you know, I would recommend you write a book on that. Frankly, you know, I would like to write some kind of a like a murder mystery set at an MLM. <laughs> I, yeah, I, that's that's in the pipeline. Something I got to do something with this material. Yeah, I mean, just I hope you're taking I hope you're taking copious journal entry notes. Yes, and I hope your employer's not listening either. <laughs> So um, wow! So by day you're working full time, and and by night you're writing a book, and you're getting paid diddly squat for it. Yeah, but at least it's something for the Mormonism, for the Mormonism for dummies anyway. At least it was something, and some of the others. Uh, the the new one that I worked on with Jana uh, is called the time, the time chart history of Mormonism. Okay. Oh yeah, I think I saw that up on uh, Zarahemla. Yeah, it's put out by a publisher in England that puts out these beautiful, illustrated, these these timelines fold out 11 feet. They're on cardstock, and they're really quite beautiful. And, and uh, again, they came to Jana first and asked her to put together one on Mormonism, and she wasn't able to do that, and she got me involved again, just like with the Dummies book. Um, and so we worked together on that, and like I said, it's, in a container ship right now, coming from China. So, um, before we leave Mormons for Dummies, uh, the 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 I, I've heard a lot of people really like the book. Um, you know, how would you describe it? Is it it's uh, on the candor scale, on the hard hitting scale? Do you is there anything you shy away from? Were there topics you guys just agreed you weren't going to cover? You know, does it talk about peep stones? Does it talk about polyandry? Does it talk about uh, you know, post-manifesto denials. You know, how much does it get into the really, the stuff that really causes people problems? Okay, we did. I think we did touch on something like post-manifesto denials. Uh, we definitely gave a fairly thorough treatment of polygamy, and I think a balanced one. Uh huh. Um, I think we maybe could have gone further in some people's opinion, um, but I think we struck a nice balance between uh, remaining. Uh, What's a good term? Uh, benignly objective, uh-huh. uh, I think, was the tone that we took. Um, the hardest chapter, believe it or not, one of the hardest chapters was the chapter on the temple. Oh, yeah. You can imagine why. We we worked on that one several times, and, and at one point it was a lot more detailed. Right. Uh, and we, I, I, I think I was the one that kind of had a, a guilty conscience about uh, the level of detail in that chapter, and we pulled back. And but you know we touched on. Uh, I think we handled the racial, some of the racial stuff. We admitted some mistakes on the on behalf of the Mormon culture. I mean, we pointed out where there's been some flaws and some mistakes, and and where things have improved. And you know we we touched on Mountain Meadows massacre and and. Uh, We've had some people, we have a section on same-gender attraction, and some people have been quite satisfied with that, and other people don't think we went far enough in terms of uh, calling the church to repentance, as it were. Mm-hmm. But that, that wasn't really our purpose, you know. Yeah. So I think we managed, even better than I hoped, to, to uh, strike a good balance between um, being frank and uh, also still being uh, palatable. Yeah, I mean, clearly if the church is passing it out, you succeeded. 
right? Yeah, and, and we have sections in there that I'm sure they would have rather we left out, and I'm grateful that they, that didn't ruin the whole book for them, as it were. Yeah, and so that's, you know, it's moving the football down the field, if I can use a, a sports metaphor. I think so. Um, it, so were there any any paragraphs or sections that either caused a stir or that, you know, people really loved? Is there any, are there, were there any standouts that, that come to mind at all? Well, let's see. Um, we had Jana wrote a really, um, really entertaining section on the Word of Wisdom uh, that a lot of people have mentioned to me that they particularly found refreshing. Uh, she had a, a funny discussion of, you know, what is definitely okay, what is maybe okay, not okay in terms <laughs> of substances, and we played with, you know, decaf and where does decaf fit. And, <laughs> And that was a, a part that a lot of people said they enjoyed. Okay. Um, and uh, let's see. You know, in general, I would have to say that I thought we'd get more complaints. Right. I thought, because we have parts where we where we have some humor, uh, and I thought we'd get more complaints about, oh, you're making light of this or that, or you were too flippant about this, something. But we've really... <sighs> had hardly any complaints. In fact, I can't think of any. How about compliments? And we have had, you know, if you go on Amazon.com, we got a, a straight five-star uh, excellent rating still. Wow. So we're getting, uh, you know, good good response on Amazon.com. Word of mouth has been excellent. Um, I would say that a lot of Latter-day Saints don't necessarily sit down and read the whole book, but people who have have felt really comfortable sharing it, you know, with relatives who aren't members of the church, or we've had a lot of people tell us that they shared it with uh, less active friends or family members. Um, so people seem to be really comfortable with the book, more so than I thought. I thought we might even, I wouldn't have been surprised if my bishop would have called me in and said, brother, maybe you went a little far, maybe you were a little too irreverent, but no, nothing like that. That's great. I'm still, I, you know, we have we have probably five million plus active members of the church, and you'd think, I mean, you'd think that, you know, at least one percent. I don't know what would one percent be fifty thousand. Yeah, you'd think that maybe you know one percent or even half of one percent would end up buying a book like that. Well. It's a I tough market. This is a tough market, is what I'm saying. I think it is a tough market, and you know, Deseret Book did carry it, and maybe does still. Yeah. So, so it's not like we've been uh, stonewalled by the main uh, source of books in the LDS culture, but yeah, I'm not sure how to account for uh, not not having more sales. I mean, of course, we we wish we did, and maybe I hope it's a perennial though and stays in print for many years. I think most dummies' books do stay in print. Yeah, they're not going to do a, a different edition, right? So, No, they do. They do. Uh, if sales warrant it and there's enough material to update, they would do another edition. But they would always use you. Yeah, I think they would just have us update the same yeah, book, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, cool. So um, from there, you jumped in. What, what was the next book you jumped into? Well, let's see. We did the timeline, the time chart that I mentioned, the big illustrated fold-out thing. Okay. That, that took up a lot of time this past year. And then uh, I actually had three other books that I did this last year, too. I had a very busy, productive year. Okay, wait. And is that in addition to the Mormon Tabernacle Choir? Because I want to get back no. to that. Okay. The, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir is one of them that okay. I did last year. So... Um, Tell us. You mentioned, you know, we talked about that earlier, but tell us about what it was like to try and shop that around to the different publishers. Okay, yeah, we did. We did not start with Deseret Book. We decided not to waste their time or ours. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I I think where I started was uh, Granite. Have you ever heard of Granite? Publishing? No, but that doesn't mean anything. I'm just now learning about this industry. Okay, Grana is one of those second-tier um, conservative LDS publishers. Uh, you've got Deseret and Covenant that are the two biggies. And then I would say Grana and Cedar Fort 
are probably uh, the two companies that are kind of on the next tier. I think Cedar Fort's bigger than Granite, but Granite's pretty big, and they do some books. So we actually, uh, one of the gentlemen that runs that company uh, emailed us and seemed to enjoy our material, and I think he seriously considered doing the book. Um, he was not forthcoming about his reasons for rejecting it, though. I can only guess that maybe they determined it was a little too edgy for their uh their clientele, which is Deseret Book and all of the independent LDS bookstores that sort of follow the Deseret model. So right. that wasn't too surprising. And then uh, Gibbs Smith. Are you familiar with Gibbs Smith at all? No. Uh, he is a publisher up in Layton, Utah. He doesn't actually have a lot of Mormon market uh, focus. He does have some, but he's a, a real... You know, he's got several employees, and I think he has a, a real uh, good publishing operation nationwide, and then occasionally does some Mormon books. I don't know what his specialty is. I think it's art-type books and some Western Americana-type books. Huh. But he uh, he seriously considered doing the book. He's a big fan of the Sugar Beet, and I think his staff talked him out of it. They said, we don't think we could sell this very well. Okay. So that was a close call. And you didn't try Covenant, is that right? Did not try Covenant. We did try Signature Books. Okay. Which, of course, is the yeah the main liberal Mormon publisher. Um, and we got a, a note from them saying they didn't think it was commercial or something like that. So they didn't give us a lot of reason. Maybe it was too light-minded for them. I don't know. Although they do publish some humor. Yeah. I was surprised they didn't want to do it, actually. But you were disapp maybe, maybe disappointed? A little bit, yeah. Um, were you also a little bit concerned to, I mean, you know, is that a black mark to publish a signature for you, or is, that, is there a reputation there that would be of concern? I mean, I'm friends with those guys, so I don't mean that in any disparaging way, but is there a, yeah, stig is there a stigma associated with publishing a book through them for an author? To tell you the truth, I don't think I would hesitate to if I felt good about my book. Okay. I don't think I would hesitate to publish through Signature. However, yeah, they've got a lot of baggage, I think. It's kind of similar to Sunstone. Right. I mean, they, they are in the book industry, the Mormon book industry, kind of what Sunstone is as a Mormon magazine. That is that those who have heard of them, which I don't think there are very many Mormons, mainstream Mormons, but those that have heard of it, of signature, I think probably think it's one of those semi-apostate liberal type, you know, and that's some baggage that might not be fully deserved. Uh, but you know, they publish some things that are challenging, and we just have said that our culture goes to black and white thinking so easily, right? And then a, a company like Signature gets caught up in the black side much more easily than than I think is really fair. Mm -hmm. But but it does happen. Right. Yeah, and so there's not a lot in the middle ground, is there? No, uh, and that's a frustrating thing. Something I'm trying to do something about uh, myself, actually. Yeah, and we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, definitely want to talk about that um, in, in your Zerahemel books deal. So, okay. But, but before we jump uh, onto that, so you, you were able to convince a publisher to do it. And again, who is that? Could you repeat the question? Who, who is the publisher for um, the Mormon Tabernacle Inquirer? Pinsnay Press. Okay, right. I mentioned that earlier. And who are your co-authors? Well, there's, uh, there's several of them. Uh, some, of the, some of the ones uh, that have done the most writing would be uh, Stephen Carter. Yep who is well-known in Sunstone Pages these days. He's my buddy Steve. A shout-out to my buddy Steve. All right. Uh, we have Todd Robert Peterson, who plays a major role. Yeah. He's another another Sunstone uh, familiar, and he just came out with his first uh, book, a collection of short stories. Okay. Uh, Todd's the one who actually brought the website to life. Without Todd... It wouldn't have been the phenomenon that it was because of the website that he put together. Okay. So I want to acknowledge that. Um, our probably our most our most popular writer overall is a, a woman named Amy Chamberlain. Uh huh. Uh, she lives over in Dubai now, of all places. Oh. Over in the Middle East, and 
But this is all email, so it doesn't matter where we live. And then there's uh, several others. I'm sure I'm forgetting some. Paul Allen, um, Chris Juke. Some of these guys haven't done any writing or publishing except with us, and so it's been right. kind of a thrill for them to be involved with a, you know, a real book and everything. And how many uh, how many copies were printed in the initial printing? Uh, she started out with one thousand, you know, so not huge, but uh -huh. not too bad for a regional book. Yeah. Um, but she sold that out within the first uh, four to six weeks, and she's printed more than that again for a second run. Did they do an advance, or do they? That's not the type of thing they do. No, she didn't. Uh, small, a lot of small publishers don't do advances. I mean, she'll pay full royalties uh, when the time is right, but uh, no advance. Okay. And um, so. So an author probably won't make much at all on a on a, on a book like uh, Mormon Tabernacle Inquirer. Is that right? If it sells one one or two thousand copies, it's more just you want to get a book out than it is you're going to make any money. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> if you sell a thousand copies of a book that say it had a cover price of fifteen dollars, um, the a standard royalty rate would be ten percent. So that's like a dollar fifty a book. So you'd get about fifteen hundred dollars. Okay. So that gives you an idea. So, yeah, you need to sell. And that's a pretty standard royalty rate. So, yeah, to make a living as an author, you got to be up, well up into the tens of thousands uh, to, to make a living at it. Dang. That's brutal. Yeah, it's, uh, it's tough. It's a tough business. I don't think there's very many uh, people that make a full-time living at, at writing books. In, in Mormonism or just period? You know, I bet there's not more than 100 or 200 people nationally that, that really make a full-time living at it. I'm serious. And in Mormonism, I bet there's not more than 5 or 10 at the most. Right. So it's just tough to be an author. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's an avocation for most people. I don't want to say hobby, but it does. it is something that you have to do in your spare time usually. Do you have any idea how the book deals work with general authorities? Um, no, I don't know that I do. Uh, I don't know. I, I would think they would get paid royalties, but I don't know. And, and, and how many an average General Authority book sells? I know that uh, some of the real perennials, um, like Miracle of Forgiveness and oh, yeah. Mormon Doctrine, those have sold hundreds of thousands of copies. So the potential is there to sell two or 300,000 copies of a book in this market. Yeah, although I almost Beautiful. feel like those days are kind of those days are almost kind of gone. Well, uh, you know, Gordon B. Hinckley did an interesting thing and and uh, published a book with Random House. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. And I think that I bet they, I bet that was the last book that went over a hundred thousand for a general authority. Huh. I, I'm sure that maybe that was the last one. I don't know because I yeah. The book industry is becoming so, it's becoming more niche-oriented. I think there's fewer big books and lots more little books. Huh. Okay. Well, um, so tell us, uh, you know, close out with some of the other projects, uh, books you've worked on before we actually do an analysis of uh, a few things. Okay, let's see. I have five books out. I think I've touched on four of them. Did we mention conversations with Mormon authors? That's the a little bit. Tell us who's in that. Tell us a little bit more about it. Okay, that has. Um, it's a book called Conversations with Mormon Authors, and it has twenty-eight uh, different Mormon authors. And when we say Mormon authors, some of them are people who are no longer active in the faith. There's a, a one gentleman in there who's actually Community of Christ. Okay. Uh, and then there's also one other gentleman in there, John Moyer. Uh, who is not a Mormon at all, but grew up in Salt Lake and wrote a, a novel that deals with Mormon characters. And so it really covers a broad spectrum. I mean, we have we have romance novelist Anita Stansfield in there. We have uh, Dean Hughes, who writes the uh, historical novels for Deseret Book. Mm -hmm. But we have that side of the spectrum pretty well represented. We have people that I would say are kind of in the middle of the spectrum, People like Richard Dutcher mm -hmm. and maybe Margaret Young, right? Um, who 
who are kind of more the middle. And then we also have kind of the people who are a little bit outside the traditional faith channel. We have uh, Terry Tempest Williams. We have Neil LeBute, uh, Brian Evanson. So you can see, I mean, when you've got Anita Stansfield and Brian Evanson in the same volume, I think that shows you've got some, some, some cultural uh, variety in there. And again, these are essays they wrote for your book, or what? What these are are actual question and answer format interviews. That I, I did a lot of the interviews, but some of the interviews were conducted by other people. And we asked these authors uh, a, a full variety of questions, about their own projects, about you know what should Mormon literature be, uh, all kinds of, of questions along those lines. So it's a real fascinating book. It's put out by uh, Kent Larson, yeah. the subject of your podcast last week, I guess. Yeah. His company, his imprint is called Mormon Arts and Letters. Okay. And, and he put out this book. Great. Do you have any idea how it's doing? I think he said it's coming out right now, so it's... Yeah, it's only just in the early phases of uh, publicity. It's barely just getting underway. I don't even know if uh, review copies have gone out to reviewers yet. I don't know. I've seen copies, and I've started to sell some through my own website. So Something, um, I, something I forgot to ask you. Who Who's picked up, from the retail perspective, the Mormon uh, Tabernacle Inquirer? Well, you know, that's interesting, because I actually purchased... 150 copies at cost from the publisher, and I personally mailed them out to a bunch of LDS bookstores. Oh, uh, as sample copies, and um, I only have had <laughs> I've only had three or four stores so far who've agreed to carry it, and I've had uh, ten or twelve say, "Nope, we don't like it. That's too irreverent. We don't want that in our store." Mm-hmm. Now these are all members of the LDS Booksellers Association. That means that, you know, they're LDS, definitely LDS-oriented bookstores. And so I don't know if that's really a, a, a great market for uh, most alternative Mormon publishing. I don't I don't know that Signature gets their books into many of those stores, if any. So and it, it, is it kind of fair? I mean, is the content stuff that would maybe turn off the average member? Is, it, is there sexual content? Is there profanity? You know, is there uh, speaking ill of the Lord's anointed? You know. Uh, you're, are you asking about the Mormon Tabernacle Inquirer? Yeah. I have, well, you know, there's a little bit of, uh, there's a little bit of risque material in there. We have a, a Mormon Kama Sutra. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I didn't think there was anything that it really went over the line, but some people, it doesn't take much to make them think that you're either speaking too lightly of the church or deity or or general authorities. And I, as an editor, I was I really tried to pull back on areas where I thought that might we might be going too far, and I think I got it to where I'm comfortable with, but a lot of people still aren't comfortable with it, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, who is I think, well, who is selling it then? Well, I was going to say, um, Sam Weller's downtown Salt Lake has been very supportive. Okay. Um, Borders and, and Burns and & Noble, uh, at least in heavily Mormon areas, most of those chains have been carrying it. Not all of them, mm-hmm. uh, but some of those big chains in this region. Did you have to call those guys yourself, or what? Yeah, our, our publisher has been very, she's very proactive about getting out there, making friends with buyers. Oh, and wow. If you take, it really, it really, publishing, there's so many books that come out, those personal relationships are really make the difference. Like my experience mailing out those those copies of the Motab Inquirer to the LDS bookstores, you know, I need to, what I need to do is I need to follow up and call some of them. Right. Uh, and I do intend to do that eventually, but I kind of, I need to have a book that I feel a little more confident that they'll like <laughs> before I take the trouble to really call a lot of them. And that may happen with the time chart book that I mentioned is coming soon. Yeah, and you that, know, it's it's weird because you're clearly doing this because you just love it, right? I mean, I should yeah. just ask you the question. Why are you writing Mormon books where you're going to make, 
you know, 10 cents an hour, if that. <laughs> well, you know, I just don't think we're where we could be or should be as a culture yet in terms of having uh, books and stories and, and uh, other kinds of writing that's really open and, and frank and realistic and, I mean, uh, so much of it just is thinly veiled propaganda, you know? Right. And propaganda, propaganda has its place, but I just think there's room for more kind of authentic, well, we're not worried about what people think of us or how we look, but we're just sort of telling things more how they are. Yeah. You know, characters in novels that don't just face challenges uh, from outside, but they meet with their... Uh, sound, internal, wonderful, ideal soul, the people who have real, maybe even some internal conflicts or make mistakes, some real serious mistakes and deal with that, uh, we just don't have as much realistic literature along those lines as I really think we really need. Sure. Yeah, and, and so you believe that so much you're willing to spend a ton of time doing it. Well, yeah, it just kind of comes naturally to me. Um, it's, it's instinctual that I would want to do some of this kind of stuff. Um, when I don't do it, when I don't try to push the envelope and try to work on projects, I kind of feel depressed. It feels like I'm just wasting my life. And so, to me, meaningful engagement uh, comes through trying to write stuff that pushes the envelope. Yeah. Uh, to some degree. I mean, I don't want to push it as far as some people do. Not that I don't think that they shouldn't in the way they want to. Well, let me ask you this. What You're, you're using the term pushing the envelope, and for many that that's, has a negative connotation. It means sort of let's be controversial. What, what good – so maybe choose some other words to describe what you're trying to do if you don't mind, just if you were okay. going to sort of characterize it. But then tell me what good will come from that. You know, you know, Simpsons episode, when people start stop watching TV, you see kids jumping rope and a rainbow coming out and the sunshine coming, you know. What do you <laughs> – let's say that we have this vibrant, you know, culture that's rich and meaningful, uh, you know, that you and Kent describe. Uh, what What is the practical benefit that, that – accrues to members of the church if that happens that's a two-part question by the way <laughs> all right well let's see how can i address that the thing i really want to say uh is to say that i think there's a lot of us who when we go to church when we read <clears throat> or experience some of these uh sanitized cultural books and things there's a big disconnect because there's almost a feeling of inferiority that can come over you when you think, now my life is not like that, or I don't measure up to some of these ideals, or that's not the way I feel, or you know, I've been I've been involved with some other things that are a lot more challenging, and and yet I don't feel like I fit because I don't know that if if anyone else really has gone through some of this stuff because everyone seems to be coming across as so, you know, we want to come across in our faith as very you know, spiritual and pure, and we go to some trouble to do that, and it, it it comes through in our books. That same trying to look good and uh, be uplifting and all the time. And I think there's a lot of people who might even stay in the church or be uh, more strongly affiliated with with the church um, if they could read books that are that that are just a little more realistic. Um, so you're saying people feel people feel like uh, there's no one else like them, like they're traveling alone, like there's no one they can relate to, and it makes them feel ostracized, and maybe they become disaffected. Yeah, exactly. They just don't feel part of the community. They don't feel as connected. And this is something that happens to me sometimes, too. And I've been really grateful for authors like uh, Levi Peterson uh, and some of these types of authors, and there's not very many of them, Yeah. Um, who have kind of taking a different approach and you know some people there is a risk of you know we we hate the word the word worldly and in some ways what i what i hope for in a mormon literature is a, a literature that is a little more worldly 
but the, the I guess what I mean by that is that it it deals more with what it's really like to be in the world, and so maybe you do have some more frank um, encounters with sexual things or with substance abuse with people who really have you know experiences with that kind of thing or with people that really uh, go through challenges with their with their testimony like when they encounter um, some of the historical anomalies that we have um, I think that could help people process these things more if, if our culture gave more openness to discussing them frankly hmm. so. so you're of the opinion that a stronger culture means more active uh, strong devoted members of the church I think that it could overall, and you know, it might backfire in a few cases where someone might be on their way out anyway, and something in a in a frank, realistic novel might it could push them the wrong way too. I mean, it's not like it's a it's a risky thing, but I think overall, the net benefit is good when we're more open and frank and and uh, not not so much propagandistic all the time. Sure. So, so tell me. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say it's a real uphill battle, and it seems like whenever you write something that is too world, it's it's really easy to write something that's that's too worldly for a lot of Mormon readers, but then it has too much uh, Mormon content in it for worldly readers. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. That's a real a real difficult spot uh, to try to carve out an audience in. And I'm not sure how possible it is, but that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Um, t- talk really quickly about your your feelings and reactions um, about uh, the the Deseret uh, Deseret book acquisition of Siegel Book and Tapes and Covenant. Contrast it or or complement what uh, you heard from the Kent Larson interview. Well, I think it's a sign that the uh, that the Mormon market, the Mormon book market, was overbuilt. I think it shows that it was, uh, it's kind of like the airline industry uh-huh. uh, is going through some consolidation right now because of the inefficiencies and other things. And I'm, I'm afraid that it just means that, you know, we had these two competitors that carved out a great, a great marketplace uh, for LDS books, but the pressures of the market, I think people might be reading less now, or they might be spending less on books in some areas, I don't know. But I think it's just a sad commentary that the books aren't necessarily uh, maybe as strong a part of our culture overall as they have been. And so I think that's why you're seeing uh, Deseret uh, feeling more threatened by, you know, you know, all the discussion this past summer about Deseret feeling threatened by Deseret or by Siegel's discounting practices and things. Yeah, I mean, that's, that, they wouldn't be making noise about it if uh, everything was fine. Uh, with their sales, and they were accomplishing all they wanted with sales, you know? Sure. And that's, that's the kind of thing that happens when your bottom line isn't as good as you need it to be anymore or something. So but, so you feel like there's likely going to be uh, cost savings through some type of efficiencies or cuts or whatever they do, and potentially some price raising. The, the, you, you probably don't see their press releases necessarily coming true and how they envision the results of the acquisition yeah i see it as uh i don't i don't see how they'll be able to resist uh increasing some efficiency by you know taking steps like reducing the number of titles published and and uh, really changing the retail mix and maybe even closing stores down the road a ways i mean they say not not now but you know a year or two from now it's hard to imagine that there'll be still a seagull and a Deseret book right across the street from each other in, in some of these communities like they are now. I just can't see how that, that would uh, be wise in the long term. Yeah, and Logan, there's there's both within at least three or four blocks of each other. Yeah, in Bountiful and in uh, Provo, they're both right across the street in several locations. Interesting. So, I, you know, and that's not a market... I don't think I'm ever going to get most of my books into Deseret, personally. Yeah. Uh, and for me, the real sad thing is that we don't have 
except for a couple of independent bookstores maybe in the Salt Lake area, like Sam Weller's. There's really not a bookstore, certainly not a chain, that's open to carrying what I would call alternative or or whatever type Mormon books. I mean, How about interesting? Great. How about interesting Mormon books? Interesting, yes. <laughs> alternative is a loaded term, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know where to place some of these books. I mean... It's just, uh, I wish there was a chain of of uh, stores that, that did carry a wider variety of Mormon books. You know, but you're right. I, I think there's something really true in what you're saying. I think you're basically laying this at the feet of the members and saying the members aren't into decent literature, or if they are, they're not into decent literature that touches on their own faith uh, system. You know, I think the Mormon audience is really, really thin-skinned and sensitive about anything that could just make the church not look 100% perfect. That's amazing. And, and did you, you probably have feelings about Dutcher and his, his, his work and how that relates to Mormon film as well, right? Oh, I just ache. I ache that uh, some of his great films haven't done very well. I, it's that old thing of, if uh, Latter-day Saints aren't comfortable, they just ignore. And that's powerful, because that's, you know, he's very frustrated now because of the, uh, as you know, the lack of of uh, acceptance and box office dollars. Yeah, the audience just doesn't come through. Are you guys no. buds? Are you and Richard buds? Uh, I don't even know if he'd know me by, by face. He'd probably know my name, because we've emailed and chatted before, but uh, uh, so we're... No, we're not buds. Oh, but hey, if Richard wants to go out to lunch sometime, I'd certainly go. <laughs> I love Richard. <laughs> I love Richard Dutcher. I'm a huge fan. Well, you know, um, do you have any hope? Do you uh, do you envision some type of event that might awaken the sleeping giant that is the the LDS uh, reader? Okay, that's a really good question because I do have an answer. All right, I. I think the way that you'll awaken the LDS audience to um, not ignore <laughs> a, a, a more interesting book, as we put it, is to kind of go in, I think an LDS author has to write some kind of a novel or something that it's an LDS novel, it, 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 it's true to our worldview, um, and he goes and publishes it, he or she, nationally. Yeah. I think a national publisher has to pick up some kind of a real authentic Mormon novel, and then it makes enough of a splash nationally that then Latter-day Saint readers will not be able to help but pay it some attention. They won't just be able to ignore it because it's already nationally accepted. Yeah. That's how it's going to happen. I uh, think you're book, right. This is a book that, you know, it's going to have challenging elements in it, but it's not going to be a, a Martha Beck book. It's not going to be a, a a book that, I mean, we already have books that are, I don't know if anti-Mormon is the term, but not necessarily allowing much room for faith, you know. Yeah. We've already had those kinds of books, but what I'm talking about is a book that, that still allows for Mormon faith and, and shows some... Uh, that isn't just a black and white type thing. And then the LDS audience, you know, might come around a little bit because they care what people think. Yeah. Uh, and if a book is making a splash nationally, you know, they're going to want to find out what it's all about. And, to defend uh, it or to attack it or, or to analyze it. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, and it can't be a book like the Crack Hour book that's going to be put us, put our audience too much on the defensive. Uh, I think it's got to be a book where some LDS readers are going to say, you know, I wouldn't have chosen to be that frank about sex or something in the book, but, you know, overall, I kind of like the way the book uh, portrays our, our culture. I think it's true. I mean, that's the kind of response that, that you would hope to get, and that's what's going to change. And you think I, that, And you think that could then lead to a trend of more reading? Yes, I think that could open the floodgate. Wow. That kind of a thing. You know, I think you're right, and I think if if Dutcher does the profit and is able to get the right kind of money and the right kind of release, that could do the same for film. 
Yeah, and what you what you got to do is you you really make an impact on the national audience. Yeah, yep, and it flows and, back. Well, and 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 the kind of impact I'm talking about is things like you know, there's more to the Mormons than I thought, or hey, there's a you know, there's some real uh, human uh, interest there, you know, that kind of a response, and where the LDS people can see that hey, there's a way to you know what what it boils down to is hey. There's another way to do missionary work, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, there is that too. Yeah. I mean, if, if uh, LDS people realize that being more honest and frank opens some doors of understanding, you know, they can see where that's overall good, maybe for the church too. Sure. That's the way my thoughts go. I think uh, I think that's really possible, and I'll just add that I, you know, there is a potential real opportunity if Mitt Romney ends up. Uh, doing pretty well and maybe even emerging from the Republican primaries as the candidate and, uh, you know, goes against whoever the Democratic representative is, I'm sure a book publisher is going to be more likely to to take on a Mormon novel um, as that approaches. Oh, holy smokes, that could make a big difference. Yeah, I think, yeah, I'm just giving that little hint out to those who want to try and ride that wave. I wonder if I could get Mitt to endorse uh, Mormonism for Dummies. <laughs> I think you mentioned him in it. I saw that today. You actually have him in there. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Yeah, maybe he would. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. That's the kind of thing that, in the political arena, he would be doing exactly what I, I think someone needs to do in the literary arena. Yeah. So yeah. if he does it in the political arena, yeah, maybe it could spill over into other arenas, too. Well, let's uh, let's let's uh, end with that hope then. Let's do. Yeah. Well, let's. Oh, Zarahemla. Yes. Let's end with Zarahemla. Tell us about that and and give us the URL and what you hope people to do. Yeah, just really quick. I've started my own little book publishing company called Zarahemla Books, and it is located at zarahemlabooks.com, and that's why I'm trying to do some of these things we've been talking about. Uh, I. We've come out with three books to begin with. Uh, you can read about those on the website, but they're one of them I did write, but the other two were written by other authors, and they're all works of fiction to start with, but we'll also be doing some memoir, some humor. some We've got some great things in the pipeline. And so, yeah, it's just my attempt to try to f- help fill that void between uh, signature books over on the one side and Deseret and, and all its clones on the other. It's just uh, there's other small publishers trying to do the same thing, but like we said, it's tough to carve out that middle territory. So you're you're learning the publishing business then yourself. Yeah, I mean I'm right there in the trenches, uh, getting books put together, getting them printed, trying to get them sold. Most of my sales right now are coming directly through the website because not a lot of stores. It's kind of hard to get books into stores when you're new, but I'm chipping away at it and having a lot of fun and and uh, so. And there's other small publishers that deserve support too, so, so let's all get behind them. So zarahemlabooks.com. Yes, check it out. Go, uh, go buy a few books for our homie Christopher Bigelow. Well, and other authors that are represented there too, and the others there too. Well, wonderful. Well, I just uh, really enjoyed talking to you. I really feel like I understand a lot more about uh, publishing in the in this space. It is a little discouraging, but I, I can't imagine that it's nothing but uh, potentially uphill or downhill from here, right? I mean, it can only get better. I can't imagine it getting worse. Well, you know, I, I think that we are on. I think we're on a trajectory where things will open up more. I yeah. think that they will. Well, let's you know, and one of the thing I'll say too is that um, as the so-called worldly entertainment gets more and more corrupt, which I think we do see. Uh, less moral and more uh, carnal-minded. Yes, I think we do need more alternatives within our own culture too. And I think Richard Dutcher's talked along these lines as well. That we need more alternatives so that people don't have to kind of stoop to some of the some of the really unsavory things that, that you're getting more on TV now. And so that's another thing I'd throw out too. That's good. Another piece of hope. Well, good. Well, thanks so much for coming on Mormon Stories, Christopher. It's a pleasure to get to know you a bit. 
learn about what you're doing and to be able to share you with all uh, my listeners so that maybe they can help support uh, arts because if if we don't support it it's going to you know not thrive and it's going to die so it really is up to you the listener to uh throw your support behind what Christopher's doing so well, thanks very much, John, and I'm looking forward to uh, following Mormon stories more than I have in the past. I'm now a, I'm now a committed listener. Okay, well, well, thanks for coming on, and maybe we'll have you on again soon. Thank you. Thanks, Christopher. Uh, take care. This program has been a production of Mormon Stories Podcast. To comment on this episode or to peruse the archives of past episodes, please visit us online at mormonstories.org. Also, please consider supporting Mormon Stories Podcast by making a contribution today or by voting for this episode at dig.com and sustained.org. Thanks again for listening.